Does anyone here happen to have in your pocket a silver dollar? Half dollar? Quarter? No one has a quarter? Got a quarter? Can I have it? Thank you. Do you have another one? <laughs> I'll bring it back. Not a lot of quarter dollar or uh, half dollars and silver dollars going around these days, obviously. Uh, quarters are still out there. Thank you, Carrie. Appreciate it. Uh, and I will give it back, I promise. <clears throat> so, um, you know, as I, as I hold this in my hand, um, you know, I feel the, the texture of it. I can feel the, the subtleties of uh, Washington's face on there and even the, the, the print that's on it. You can feel, especially on a quarter, the kind of those jagged edges. Uh, coin collectors might have a more technical term for that. But you can, and you can tell by the size of it as you hold it in your hand. If you've, you know, been around for any amount of time at all, you can almost tell without even looking at it what... Uh, what type of coin it is, nickel, dime, penny, etc. To say that it's worth a lot these days is relative. For a small child, this could be a, a fortune. I can remember uh, as a kid, I, mom and dad, I had to throw this in since you're here, I got, my allowance was a dollar a month. A dollar... Mom, Dad, a dollar a month? Really? Uh, but this was back in the 70s, and uh, it's what we got. And you know what? I thought it was a fortune. I, every month, I, for like seven, eight months, I'd line up my dollar bills and count them out, you know? M money is, is, means something to us, in, in a, and it means a lot of different things, depending on how we're looking at it and, and thinking about it in our life. It's... As, as I said earlier in my stewardship moment, it's that means of sustaining things. The, the church runs on money. Our families run on money. It's just a part of, of who we are in the fabric of our society, whether we like it or not. And, 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 and there's no you know, complete equity there. There's, uh, there. there's the rich, there's the poor, and there's a, there's a lot of us kind of in the middle. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean you're on easy street irrespective of how many zeros go after the first one on your paycheck. So, you know, money is, is, a, is a fluid kind of thing, and we need to think of it that way. The composition of this coin probably has some silver in it. If you're a collector, you might collect coins with higher amounts of silver in them. And so you can start talking about value in that way in terms of is it a scarce one? Well, this one is not. I can tell you that by looking at it. It's just a common everyday coin. It's worth what it is, 25 cents. Um, but, you know, the number minted of a coin might have a, an impact on it, the condition of it, uh, how old it is, uh, demand that collectors have for it, etc. But a common coin just seems so inconsequential. Um, you're going to get by without this, right, Carrie? Of course you are. You could. Uh, but she'd rather have it back, and she'll get it back, uh, as I've said. But how many times have I found in my cup holder, um, in my car, maybe this is you too, uh, that's the place where I toss my extra coins if I'm getting change or if I have a pocket full of change. I want to, it goes in there, and when that gets too full, 
I dig all that out of there. I take it into my house to a, a larger container that we have in our closet and, I, and, and put them in there. When that's full, I carry that container to the bank and they count out those coins through one of those automatic machines and it gives me paper money or I put it in the account, whatever. Um, there's, a, there's a process there that doesn't necessarily enrich me uh, other than carrying around a bunch of, a bunch of heavy coins because uh, they do add up. All that to, to, to say this, um, I often go into the bank with that, not often, but whenever it's full, I go into the bank with that container of coins, and there's a part of me, and this is, this is germane to the sermon, there's a part of me that feels like a little kid carrying his pennies in, you know, that I've saved, that, that one dollar a month, if you will. And... And when you see the teller up there and they see you bringing this, this uh, plastic, clear plastic container of coins, they get a smile on their face. And I know they're thinking about that with me as well, right? Here comes that little kid again. And uh, so you're, you're standing there and I feel like I'm looking up at them. Ma'am, would you please, you know, cash out my coins? Uh, <clears throat> money makes us feel certain ways as well. I mean, it has an impact on the way we live our lives and how we care for others but it also has an impact on us emotionally as well. And so there's, you know, at every level in which we live our lives, it's there and present. It's, it has this power over us. So there's no coincidence in my mind that this parable, one I'm sure you've heard many times, uh, uses a coin as, the, as kind of the key feature piece in it. The point of this gospel text is not about the value of the coin, but rather Jesus turns the tables on the Herodians and the Pharisees that are here to question him, and he revolutionizes the way we think about it. He is talking to us about looking at something in ourselves rather than the coin itself. The Herodians and the Pharisees, Herodians are, are not mentioned very often in, in Scripture. Um, what little we know about them is that they were likely folk uh, who were kind of loosely organized, not many of them. They may have aligned themselves with other groups or political powers, but uh, they, they kind of portrayed themselves as um, part-time theologians, maybe. It's, it's really hard to, to, to say, but they were there together with Pharisees, religious elites, people who were connected, if you will, and they carry around with them, and you see it in the wording of this text. If you go back and reread it, you'll definitely see it, this kind of smug geniality. So, Jesus, we love you, but you got to tell us about, you know, this or that. And it really doesn't matter what the question is. They're, they're looking to, to trip him up. They're looking to to kind of turn the tables on him and get him out of the way. In other words, we're at a moment in the ministry of Jesus where he is starting to get under their skin, if you will. He's starting to be the one who is turning the tables in, in this world in which they live, which is dominated by the brutality and the bloodiness of the Roman Empire. This is a Roman-dominated area, and Jesus is speaking against it. He is 
empowering the poorest of the poor and the marginalized. And here he stands out in the open with the Herodians and the Pharisees there before him. And they want to talk about a coin. The Pharisees are these set-aside people. They're strictly supposed to be living this strict law-abiding way of life, uh, living completely into Torah law as religious leaders. And so they have this sense of uh, superiority, of, of standing over Jesus, if you will. And so these Herodians and Pharisees ask Jesus, tell us, dear Jesus, what do you think? Like I said, it doesn't really matter what the question is. They want to know, are you sincere, Jesus, about teaching about God in the right ways? Are you sharing the truth as we interpret it? Talk about a loaded question. You know there are people around. They wouldn't do this in isolation with Jesus. This is out in the open air where many people can hear him. He knew that this bunch, many of whom were suspect imposters, if you will, were given a hand up by the domination system, so they were likely in collusion with the Romans. He knew this about them. He knew they were single-minded in their desire to tamp down his, his vision, this vision that he had offered to the people for a new life, a new way of being, with less suffering, with more equity and equality among all people. Their vision, as the Pharisees and the Herodians, was to be in collusion with the Roman domination system and keep everything in place. Everything's working out just fine for us, Jesus. Why do you want to mess this up? So Jesus asked them for a coin. And rather than answering their question... He asked them a question in, in, uh, in a way turning their political question because this was, a, this was a coin that had Caesar's image on it. And by the way, if, if, if we wanted to be strict about it, you know, my, my kind as clergy, we, we would be kind of like Pharisees maybe. Not, not in every way, but, you know, so this, this, this speaks to the heart for me as I'm talking about these things. I want you to be aware of that. He said, whose face is on this? And of course, they have to identify it as Caesar. And just doing that, the people around him, especially the ones that are suffering, especially the ones that are on the outs, know that it's becoming a theological conversation. He uses the question to disclose something about them and perhaps something about us, the listener if you will, the people who were standing around listening. And the deep question is, what does does that coin tell us about what we believe? A part of the statement in U.S. coins is found on many of them. The word liberty would appear somewhere. And, of course, as many, if not most of us know, in God we trust. We we see that that's a part of of our our coins and the various denominations. The the Herodians and the Pharisees had attempted to corner Jesus with a political question, you know, do you trust in this God, Caesar? God was, Caesar was almost 
what was elevated to the divine, the, 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 the all-powerful, the all-righteous one. So he knew he had to go to the core. And Jesus knew that if he said, yeah, it's, you should pay your taxes, that's, that's a good thing, that, that, would be, that would get him off the hook with the Romans. But with others, there would be problems, especially Jews. The people he was speaking to, for instance, would feel cut out of the loop. So as they're trying to corner Jesus about whether he should pay the taxes or not, he would have completely discredited the religious establishment. If he hadn't done it, he would have likely been arrested and would have gone away. But instead of going one way or another, what Jesus does in that very moment is widens the way of thinking beyond the question of politics, beyond what is the right or wrong way of looking at it, and simply asks that question, whose picture is on this? Well, everyone knows it's Caesar, the Almighty. And Jesus never, at that point, has to speak to the question in that moment about the image of God. But those that are followers of Jesus in that moment, I believe, the, the text doesn't tell us this, but as I, as I look at it, they're, they're saying to themselves, okay, he's talking about us. We're the image of God. We we are God's people at work in the world. That's what he's teaching us about is we've got to lift ourselves up and, uh, and stand before those who oppress. We've got to liberate ourselves through all of this. And I love that idea. And for Jesus, that would have meant not only doing that for themselves, but even loving and welcoming those who had rendered violence against them, Roman soldiers, people who treated them harshly. Those are powerful things. I, I love the words of a, a theologian by the name of Richard Spaulding. Uh, the spiritual claims that Jesus may have little to do with power and control. He is saying that the care and compassion of God is made known through transactions of commerce, of the commerce of the pe people. Transactions of the commerce of the people. He goes on to say this. Baptism is the true watermark of our current, is the true currency of our watermark. The image we bear is the image of the divine. And on baptism, we put on the divine. We receive God's spirit as it is shared among us in families of faith such as this. Jesus is intentional in making this a difficult question for them to respond to. He's forcing the hand of the powerful while at the same time comforting and encouraging the outcast and abused, the forgotten and the left behind. How do we become a church of this sort more and more? We are already in so many ways. How do we continue to grow and expand the possibilities? as we accept all of those who walk through these doors. I believe we start with our own spiritual lives, the way we connect together and connect with Jesus in our lives and our, our faith lives as we begin to journey, knowing it'll all be okay. It'll all be okay with God's help. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Let Caesar have all the advertisements he want on, wants on coins. 
Jesus says that, doesn't, that simply does not matter. Because for us, it goes deeper. For us, it's about this life of faith and this life we're shaping together to be God's people in this world. <clears throat> One of my favorite uh, spirituality writers was a, a, a woman from the 1300s, uh, Julian of Norwich. Anybody heard of a few of you? Yeah, Julian of Norwich has really been an impactful person for me. She lived in this tiny cell in a, in a Catholic parish, a little small window. I, I imagine her, most of her adult life as she, she wanted to be a nun, and most of her adult life she became seriously ill, didn't live long, but uh, she, she cre created and offered some of the most powerful theological and spiritual writings ever. She was a trailblazing woman in, a, in an amazing way who loved God despite her uh, lifetime of pain and suffering. And so the three things that she looked for in her life were a stronger understanding of Christ's passion, uh, a sickness unto death to understand God in body and soul. She wanted to live into the pain and suffering that she had as a means of understanding God. That's hard to comprehend, isn't it? Uh, who wants to live into pain and suffering? And a, and a continual longing for her uh, to know God as compassion, God with passion. I love that idea. There's been a, a little verse of, of, of song that was taught to me a number of years ago in a small clergy group that I was a part of. And I want to share it with you. <clears throat> I do have a head cold, uh, but I'm, it's, it's super easy. And, and so I'm gonna, we're going to do it three times. And the first time I'll just kind of teach it. It's very easy to follow along with. But her, the line she's known mo most for is, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. I think underneath all that Jesus is doing in this text, he's saying this in some way, shape, or form. So it goes like this. <clears throat> All shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well, all shall be well. Can we do it? Can try it? All shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well, all shall be well. Now, real quiet, real quiet. All shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well, all shall be Someday you might get presented with something like a coin. What will you have to say? How will you respond? 
Maybe it's simply that. That belief, that enduring belief that all shall be well. Thanks be to God.